It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Check it out, the Facebook page for Dr. Stuart Fishbein, my pal, here for podcast number 62. 62. Where or where does the time go? Uh, you know what? It's funny. That's just what I wanted to talk about today, Brian. And really? you didn't even know that. I did not. So how do you like my shirt today? I like your shirt. For starters, uh, Dr. Stu has on an Orioles orange t-shirt, but it's it says St. Louis Park. Yes. Now, when I see Orioles... This is good for radio, by the way. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll paint a word picture. It's, okay. a, it's a very warm and bright orange, because orange is the new black. I mean, everybody's wearing orange these days. St. Louis or Orioles. Now, of course, when I say when I think Orioles, I think Baltimore. So right. I'm thrown a bit... This is not the Baltimore Orioles. This is my uh, high school t-shirt. The reason I'm sort of wearing it today and why you know, we talked about a little bit about nostalgia and a little bit about the weather being a little bland today. Kind of ho-hum There's out a there. lot of things on my mind recently, and it sort of all fits together. But if I was in Minneapolis today, I would be attending my 40th high school reunion. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So I wore my t-shirt in honor of my 40th high school reunion and all how, my bros back home. How could you pass up your 40th high school reunion? I mean, God, I, God bless you. A lot of folks don't make it. I'll, I'll give you one guess why I wasn't able to leave town. Well, you probably were busy with work or I something. I have four people who are due, correct. Okay. Okay. All right. Three breaches and one regular normal person. <laughs> right. All ready to go at any moment here? Uh, in the next couple weeks, yeah. Oh, wow. Good so, for you. That's wonderful. Yeah, one's overdue and the other other three are close to being due. And so you really can't go anywhere when that happens. I attended my 10th high school reunion. <laughs> what, uh, 20 years ago? <laughs> actually, when was it? So it would have been in the year 2000, right? I graduated high school yeah, in so 1990. Yeah, so 15 years ago. Yeah. So 25 this year for you. Yeah. I, I, next year. It would be next year, right? And that I would go to. The 10-year reunion, to me, I almost had, I, I think I had a, a, an anxiety attack there because, you know, I was without hair. I've never cared that I'm bald, but uh, I started losing my hair at a very young age. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, anybody, uh, you know, you know, you know, anybody who, who, you know, well, some guys, you know, they want the Rogaine. I've never been a guy who does that. Girlfriends have always said, well, I couldn't imagine you with hair. So please, you know, they don't even think about plugs or anything like that. But I look very different than I did in high school. Maybe my face looks the same, but I look very different. I walked in to our 10-year reunion. I graduated on Staten Island back at home, but the reunion was in New Jersey at a nice restaurant. And I walked in and... Stu, it was unbelievable. Sitting across the dance floor were two girls. Wendy is one of them, and I forget the other's name. And they were a clique in high school. They were always sitting together. And fat, 10 years later, there they Same are. Thing, right? I walk in, and, and one of them sees me, and she does the universal mouth drop and then puts her hand over her mouth as if to say, oh, my gosh, look at him. I immediately turned around. I went right into the restroom, turned the water on. Another guy is in there. And I said, oh, my gosh, I don't know that I can do this. And I just was putting water on my face. And he said, yeah, this is, it's a bit, so he and I had a little therapy session there in the restroom at the reunion. Well, what do you think she was thinking? She was thinking, oh, my gosh, look, he got fat and he's bald. And that's him. See, by the time you go to the 40th reunion, everyone is fat and bald. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter anymore. That's what's good about the 40th reunion. Um, you know, sometimes on, on, on the podcast, Brian, we, before we get into some uh, medical issue or obstetrical issue, we, talk, we tend to talk about social issues. Like, I remember we talked one time about my daughter wanting to go to Coachella. And we yep. had a, a nice talk with Rand, our old producer, Randy, about that. And you ultimately decided no to Coachella. 
Yeah, and my daughter was fine with it after right. after uh, I told her. Maybe next year. Yeah, well, next year she's going to yeah, be in college, right, yeah. and that's sort of what I want to talk about. So, so this happens to people at, at different ages. It's not because I just turned fifty eight, uh, because it could happen when people are forty eight or forty or or so, any age. It can happen. Sure, but you start to go through. A, you you come up to a certain year where a lot of things are changing at the same time, and you know, this past, you know, my daughter graduated high school. She's going off to college next year. She's moving away. Right. Uh, my other, uh, kids are moving out of Westlake where I was been living now for the last 15, well, let's see the last not 86, almost 18 years. We've wow. been living in that, in that Ventura, uh, West, uh, East Ventura County. And so they're moving away. Uh, my ex-wife who I'm very good friends with is selling her house. So I've decided to move and I've, I've uh, rented a new place and I'm going to be moving into Los Angeles proper. So I've been going through drawers, going through mm. boxes. Yeah. It's a very nostalgic time. I'm finding little drawings, little notes from my daughter when she was six and seven years old. And I said, am I going to keep these things or are I going to throw them out? And I really thought about it for about 10 seconds. And I said, nope, in the garbage. Out they go. Really? Yeah. It's very cathartic at this point in my life to sort of get rid of all this stuff that I really... I would keep it until the day I died and then my descendants would have to throw it out. Right. So <laughs> why don't I just throw it out? But So I'm going through that period of time where I turned 58... My daughter's leaving the nest. I'm moving. You know, I'm listening to the, the, the 70s music in the car. Right. And I'm realizing <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that this is a major change in my life and that, and that getting older uh, is real. Physically, I'm, I started taking Pilates because I've have, I have some back problems from the, I had a horse accident a couple of years ago and, and, you know, things aren't the same as they were before. I have a little bit more, you know, that midsection pot belly type stuff that it's harder to get rid of. And see, I'm not, I'm painting a, a yeah, you know, I want to interject for a moment. Yeah, I don't tell, want you painting this one on the radio. No, but. you're, you're in great shape. I mean, and, and, and you, and you have, you have not had, because you continue to have a tremendous life. You've touched so many people. You've, you know, look at what you do. You bring, you bring children into the world. I mean, you've got great friends. You've got family. You've got kids who love you. You've got close friendships and all of this. And, uh, but, but you know what? So I, I'm going to be 42 in a couple of weeks. Um, so I, uh, you know, and I can go there, by the way, sometimes in my, I, pretty easily I can go there. I can go to the spot you're in pretty easily. I can't imagine having kids and finding notes and and you're packing up the place you've lived in for so long but all of these emotions dr Stu, they're ultimately healthy right yeah and you know what brian i mean i i didn't know how this would hit me but but really the idea of actually cleansing and changing and and, and catharsis and getting rid of stuff and consolidating into a smaller place mm -hmm. actually i'm feeling really good about it yes yeah, like just just the little errands i'm doing today i have a I have an old chandelier that's been sitting in the garage for 15 years, right. and it's broken. And I called a uh, woodworker and electrician today, and I'm going to drop it off next week. I have a motorcycle that won't start in my garage. I had AAA come pick it up today and take it to the dealer to get it fixed. Then I found that I couldn't find the um, registration for it. Mm -hmm. So I went to AAA a few weeks ago, and I got... Um, uh, a new registration for it so that I can sell it. So you're I'm doing gonna, stuff. I'm going to sell my motorcycle. Right. I'm going to fix the chandelier. I'm going to get some stuff to Goodwill or Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. I've got friends coming by who want to pick up my mm -hmm. patio furniture. And part of me, it feels really good to do this because you collect so much stuff over time. And 
you know, you know, you never look at it anymore. I have boxes from when I moved 15 years ago that I still haven't opened. I guess the I guess the balance is, and I'll 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 comment, but there's a there's a light question mark at the end of this. I guess the balance is to appropriately mourn to some extent the past, appreciate the past, a sadness of times gone by that will never again happen. It's the past and and there it is and you can't go there ever again. It's just life. Uh, But the balance between that and excitement for the future, a new place in Los Angeles proper. I mean, this sort of striking the balance, of course, is what's important and such a challenge, certainly for myself. Well, I'm really excited about it. I've never done uh, city living where you live in a high rise Mm in the downtown area. I'm going to be living near close to downtown Los Angeles. I think you're going to love this. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to do it for a year. And if I really like it, then I'm going to look for a place that's a little, maybe a little further out, a little less expensive, uh-huh. uh, something maybe I could even buy. But I, I, for, I've, I've thought about this back and forth is, should I feel really bad about getting older and this stuff? Or should I feel really good about it? And I've chosen to feel really good about it. It feels really good right now to know that my daughter is moving on and is happy. She's very, obviously we spoke about it yesterday. We went to the movies yesterday and she told me that she's very excited, but she's absolutely certain she's going to be homesick. She's absolutely certain that she's going to, it's going to be a tough first uh, semester for her. Right. And I said, you know, you're, you're, you can phone call, you can take the train, you can come up we'll come down. We're going home for Thanksgiving. She says, yeah, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to see my family in Minnesota to go home for Thanksgiving. So it's all good. And you can find the good things in growing old as opposed to necessarily not the not so good things, the things that aren't working so well anymore. You know, the timing is interesting because just the other morning I was having a conversation off the radio. We were in a commercial break or whatever it was with a coworker. And I was remembering you talk about your daughter leaving for school. I I, I never, I I went to school at home when I went to college. So I still live with my mom and dad. I just drove back and forth to college every day. So for me, the departure, the farewell to the neighborhood and certainly my parents and, and uh, you know, being under their roof happened when I, I moved to San Diego after college, about a half a year after I graduated college, to to host a morning radio show is something I couldn't say no to, and I was certainly very excited for it. And I just told friends the other morning that I remember so vividly, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget how it felt. I stood on the front porch with my mom and dad, and there was the car that was going to, with a, a family friend of ours, Joe Carlucci, Staten Island. I love Forget about these it. names yeah. up, Joe right? Carlucci, that was his business. He drove people, right? So he was going to take me to Newark Airport. And there I was, and a lump in the, oh my gosh, a lump in your throat. And, it, and, and my mom and my dad, and I'm saying goodbye, and we're all crying. And I'm saying things to my dad like, thank you. Just, rant, just thank you for, for being my dad, for, for letting me be here, for letting me live. Thank you. And, and, and we, for 30 minutes. And my mom, who was very emotional, my <laughs> dad. Away, yeah, yeah, and it's just, and I couldn't stop crying. And I got into the, and, and finally I said, okay. I said, I'm going to go. I said, goodbye. And I got into the car and I said to Joe, I said, Joe, I'm sorry that I'm crying. I said, uh, but I can't stop. I said, and I think I'm going to cry all the way to the airport. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. You know, it's funny because for me, when I left home, uh, I moved out when I was 18 to, to a local university. But when I left Minneapolis to drive to California for my residency program, I was... I was the opposite of you. I was a non-emotional person. I was thrilled to get out of there. Uh, I wanted to go. You know, it was a hug, a kiss, goodbye, and no problem. And that's sort of the way I was. And maybe now, 
I'm making up for the lost time because things are much more meaningful. I get much more teary-eyed much more easily mm. now about these sorts of changes. I'm even having changes now at, at work, too. I'm, I'm slowing down as far as office space. I've, I sold one of my practices a few years ago, and I really... You know, I'm not preparing for anything because I expect my dad is 93. We've talked about him before. Yeah, you guys I expect got to be living and genes. working for a really long time. Yeah, but I do want to uh, uh, clean out a lot of the clutter. Mm. That surrounds most of our lives, and there's nothing. It seems to me, it's, it's this is not something you initiated. It seems that that these feelings have all come about. I think specifically because your daughter is leaving for school, and that's sort of the primary thing, don't you think? I mean, that from that I mean, look, events in life have tentacles. We all know this, right? right. It's a, a domino effect, and and all of this seems to have physically. You're changing your living space as well, but it gets the emotions going mentally. Yeah, it's like a cosmic thing that all has come together. Uh, this year, and I'm looking forward to it for for a really good year. And and so this sort of brings me to one of the things that I was reading about this morning. I think it was in um, might have been the New York Times Magazine or something. Was about a story about women who have children. Uh, at older ages, beyond 35. This is something we've talked about here on Dr. Stu's podcast in, in the past, how uh, because of societal shifts and changes and women desiring careers more than they did generations ago, that uh, we see, quite frankly, older moms. We see first-time moms uh, much much more along in years than they were when certainly we were kids or our mom and dad. Or yeah, our well, the, the were. average age of uh, first-time moms in the United States has risen by about three years in the last 20 years. And what is it, Stu? What it's is about 27 to 29 years See, old. See, that's still young to me. That still feels very young to me. Well, you know, it used to be 23, 24 years old. Mm. Oh, okay, right. Correct. I mean, there used to be a lot more even teenage pregnancies than there are now. See, I was my mom's second, and she was done at 25. But my, this, she had, you know. this article was interesting because they said women who had babies beyond 35 mm-hmm. tended to live longer than women who had babies before 29. I sort of understand that. It would seem to me that if you if you became a mom at 40, right? Right. This, this and, is their and, example was at 40. Okay. And I, I, you, I'm sure in your practice you see that a lot now, right? You see 40, you're, hi, mom, mom, and I'm 40. I'm a first-time mom. It would seem to me that that is a an emotional, psychological, physical investment, right? Because you think, wow, I, I've got, I want to see it all. Yeah. I want to see my grandkids. I want to see the career that my son or daughter is going to have. So there's a desire, I think, to kind of, pull yourself together so you can be around for all that life has for you to see. That would be my first impression too and I think that was the first impression of the author but they came up with something that was also rather interesting and makes a lot of sense is that women who are able to get pregnant at 40 may have maybe physically uh, healthier or just to begin with mm. in, that, in that they can still get pregnant at 40, 42, 43 years old as, uh, with their own egg by the way. We're not talking about women who get pregnant with a donor egg. This study only applied to women who got pregnant on their own. And the old-fashioned way, as we they, might say. You know, it wasn't a great number. It was like 200 and some women in each group or whatever. And and so, it, so it's just a theory. And we talked to, on, on Dr. Stu's podcast many times about the flaws in scientific data and mm-hmm. reports and things like that. I just found it interesting because there's so much emphasis these days still put on the term, the medical term for women over 35 is called advanced maternal age. Oh, okay. And it makes it sound like you're high risk. And, and this whole high risk issue of, uh, is, is, in my opinion, of course, you know my statistics, you know my f- theories about birth, is blown way out of proportion and tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you continue to tell women that they're high risk, 
then they become high risk. Mm. And if you tell women that, you know, if thir- 35 is not an age where suddenly something breaks and goes wrong, right. there's a slight increased risk of this or increased risk of that. But, but the risks, the absolute risks are small. You, you know, the, the relative risk can be greater. Like the risk of Down syndrome for a woman who's 40 years old can be 10 times higher than it is for a woman who's 25. However, it's still less than one in 100 or about one in 100. Mm. So we're still talking less than one or 1% or less. But if you say it's 10 times higher, that sounds awful. If you say it's 1%, that doesn't sound so bad. And actually, as we were talking about emotions and sort of, you know, the way we feel, psychology, pregnancy to a woman at 45 has got to bring emotions very different i'm sure many very similar but in many ways the emotions that pregnancy brings to a 45 year old woman are different i'm sure in some aspects than they bring to a 25 year old woman am i wrong i might be no i don't think you could possibly be wrong i mean i think that the innate uh, feminine emotions are this, possibly the same, but life experiences are completely different. I mean, think of Brian at 22 versus Brian at 42. The way you picture the world is comp- it's got to be completely different than it was. Yeah, you know, it's fun. I was I was looking at something, uh, you know, uh, on Throwback Thursday on Facebook. So there was a video of me from when I was twenty. There's something called Throwback Thursday. Yeah. Oh my. Where God. have I been? And you have a new Facebook page. I got like sixteen Facebook pages. Okay, Throwback Thursday is when you put up a picture or a video or something or or a recollection, a memory from the past. Throwing back. You know what throwback means? Of course. Okay. And th- I, did, I didn't know that they were supposed to do that on Thursday. But if you miss Throwback Thursday, there's Flashback Friday. So don't worry about it you can always uh, but uh, there was a video of me you know almost 20 years ago and I looked at it and I thought wow you know I, I didn't look at it like it was some other person. It was me. And I, and I think of, you know, the way I look is different. Uh, you know, my knees sort of hurt if I walk up a long flight of stairs. Okay. Certainly got more weight and less hair. But in my mind, I still struggle. I want to feel the way I did oh, at 20. Yeah. In my mind, I want to see things and, and react to them, obviously differently with a little wisdom, right? And, and we've got different experiences that, that uh, we draw on and our conclusions are different than maybe they used to be. But I still want to smile when I see a rose. I guess the difference now is I stop and actually smell it. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Brian, you should say that, though. You want to be what you used to be. <laughs> well, I told you I was cleaning out drawers. Drawers. Right. I found in one of my drawers some stuff that my mother had sent me before mm. she passed away uh, that, w- that, that pertained to me. And one of the things in there was my draft card. Oh, wow. Because in 1974, they still, even though they, the war was winding down, they still had a draft order and a draft card. And in the draft card, it said I was six feet tall, 160 pounds. Okay. Now I don't want to tell you uh, that I'm at, that I'm at least fifty pounds heavier than that, and I and I don't think of myself as fifty pounds heavier right. than I was when I was eighteen, right, or seventeen, or whatever year that was. Right. You but, feel you in your mind. You feel the same. Right. But that you know that can be depressing when you see that kind of a number. When you see the, the when I look at pictures of me when I when I was traveling in, in, in Southeast Asia and Africa and I was carrying a backpack and I probably did weigh about 165 pounds and that was only about 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago is still a long time. But, the, but it's scary because, you know, I'm trying now. I'm, I'm, I'm taking Pilates and I'm trying to be a little more physically fit and it's not going anywhere. No, I think and I get this complaint from my, client, <laughs> from my clients all the time. I'm working out, Dr. Stu, and I'm not eating anything. I'm, I'm eating 
some some lettuce leaves, like same as my rabbit. Right. And I can't lose weight. Why? What's wrong? Is it my thyroid? Is it this? You know, sometimes it's nothing. It's, it's just it's just the way it is. You know, sometimes I think it's funny when I when I see uh, pictures, right? When I see pictures from the '70s or the '80s, I look at it. And of course, if you look at an old photograph, you notice, well, the phone looks different, or the phone's plugged into the wall. You don't see that, right? And and obviously the the fashion is different, and the, and and the sofa sofas don't look like that anymore. And you just but in our in in I once said to my dad when I was a kid, I said, uh, you know, something like, well, did the neighborhood look like this when, when you were a kid? Okay, so there were changes, right? There were more houses. But, but think about it. In 1980, the world was the world. It was in color. We were, li- you know, what I, it, na- pictures make us appreciate the, the passage of time makes us appreciate the differences, of course. But when you're in it, when you're in the moment, right? And, 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 and perhaps I'll say, as a friend of mine used to say, Brian, these are the good old days. He used to remind me of that all the time. And, uh, you know, because there will be a time, God willing, 20 years from now, you and I will look back and say, hey, remember that podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. right? Uh, no, okay. you don't, I don't know that I'll ever look at these as the good old days, but I know that my children will look at these as the good old days. Do you think you and I will look at these as the good old days? Well, let me tell you, be completely honest with you, Stu. I suppose you're right. You're probably right. We well, probably will. Well, but I remember sitting in Uncle John and Aunt Iris's kitchen on Staten Island, sitting there. I know my back to the, so, such little room between the the table and the and their wall, you know, because they had three kids and uh, were in a three bedroom house. And so, they, <laughs> yeah, I love the way you embellish the stories with these little de- little details that make it that make it so real. Well, uh, that's my memory. Uh, by the way, I get a lot of comments from listeners that they t- they say they love your story storytelling so well, well keep, I, keep going well, I, just keep it going i'm sorry i interrupted no but, i appreciate it and they that. hate when i interrupt you when you're telling a story too so <laughs> well i have to be nice and uh, uh all right so you're at your, you. yeah, yeah and iris and uncle john sitting yeah. there and, and and you know and 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 uh uncle john looked at me and he said i was about 15 i think i was probably a sophomore in high school maybe a junior in high school no i had to be a sophomore he looked at me he said brian these are the best years of your life and I didn't say anything out loud, but in my mind, I said, oh, God, if, he, if he's right, this, <laughs> this sucks. This sucks. Right. And, 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 I, and uh, I thought, no, he can't be right. These can't be the best years of my life. I'm 15. I don't like going to school. I'm not particularly popular when I get there. If this is the best, gosh, You know, you know that's what he terrible. should have said? He should have said these are the simplest years of your life. Yeah, I would have appreciated that yeah. because now you look back and think. Because they aren't the best years of your life. And, you know, I mean, God forbid, if high school is the best years of your life, then you're right. Then that's a pretty big waste of space. But if if they were the probably the simplest times of your life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you had much less responsibility, much less obligations, much less concerns and worries. Worry lines didn't exist in those days. I mean, you worried about stuff, but it wasn't uh, stuff that really meant anything. Mm. Uh, world events didn't mean anything to you. Financial stuff you didn't have to be concerned about curfews, going to bed, not being able, having insomnia at age 15 never happened. Didn't happen, <laughs> right? There was no mortgage or rent payment. Yeah. It's just, of, that, that stuff. The, there was no aches and pains other than maybe something that was self-inflicted momentary, but you knew you'd heal in two days. Right. I Whereas mean, now it takes you, you know, two months to heal from something. You know, you try to do something that you still think you, you're you're 20 years old and you can do, and then you realize for the, ne- the next day that you can barely move. It, it's interesting. When we talk about, what is it it's called? Advanced maternal, the medical? Age. It, oh, advanced maternal age. That's with over 35. That's the... Uh, the coding term or the medical term for it. So uh, what are the, uh, you know... Or, or as I said, as I've told you before, it can also be called an elderly prima gravida or elderly multigravida. 
which is even worse, I think, than calling advanced maternal age. They both suck, <laughs> and and they both should be done away with because even though they there are some factors involved with that, like there's a slight increased risk of developing hypertension or diabetes in people who are 35, 40 years old, the, the absolute risk is very small. It's just the relative risks to younger women is, 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 is the same, or I mean is higher. So did I say that correctly? Yeah, I guess I said that correctly. Well, you're the doctor. Yeah. Well, I think people don't understand what I meant. I do. And, and, I, and when you start to label people with that sort of thing, then it entitles the medical model to start to intervene and do things to, uh, to justify that label. That's interesting. So in other words, they start testing you or they start over-testing you. They start telling you things like, well, we're not going to let you go beyond your due date because your placenta will give out. Or you're more likely to develop uh, hypertension or uh, some other problem because you're old and that sort of thing. And that's not so it's, so... it's so rare, even though it might be slightly more common. This is an important question, I think. The, the making mom, making a client, making someone that you're caring for who's pregnant aware of the risks might create in, 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 in one mom or another, might create paranoia to overstate it, or maybe that's understating it in some cases. However, informed consent, you always talk about people having the right to know they should know. So it is a mixed bag, it sounds like, Dr. Stu. You, of course, moms, expecting moms, they need to know every, They need to know about these risks. They're adults, they can, in, in most cases. They, they, they need to know what the risks are. Uh, so, so ultimately, a patient's right to know does trump the potential psychological challenges that knowing the risks might present, right? Well, yeah, and there's two points to that. That's a very good point, Brian. You are very astute. When, when, and again, I tell my listeners that you know Brian is not medical in background, but he's a really smart guy. I don't think anyone thinks that, do they? They think, oh, Dr. Whitman? No, nobody thinks no, that. No, nobody no. thinks that. <laughs> okay, but there, there are, there are two, two parts to, to giving true informed consent. Okay, one is that you can't possibly give true informed consent because you can't tell everyone every possibility. If you did, you'd sound like the TV commercials that talk about the, the Lipitor commercial where they say 10 minutes, 10 seconds about the good stuff and then really speaking really rapidly in about 30 seconds they talk about bloody diarrhea and running, running nose and blood coming out of your eyes and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And you can't do that and nor should you do that. If I give somebody local anesthesia, do I need to tell them that they could die from local anesthesia when the chance is probably one in a million? I mean, where do you make the cutoff? So you can't give true informed consent and be perfect about because it. Because it would literally take forever. The other thing is that it's how you say it. Mm. If, you're, if your goal is to reassure somebody, there's a way of saying it that's different than if your goal is to cover your ass. If your goal is as a, as a practitioner or a salesperson or a, you know, a, dealer, a dealer of a car, mm-hmm. they can say things in certain ways that can make you feel very safe and reassured, or they can say things in ways that they're doing it so that they can say, look, it, I told them that this could happen. Right, mm. and they're covering their butt. Mm. I can give you an. I can give you a typical example. I love these. We talk about vaginal birth after cesarean. Classic example. All right. If if I'm concerned about if I don't want you to do it, or if I'm just wanting to protect myself, I can say that you know the risk of this is you could rupture your uterus and your baby could die. You know the other option is to say you know there are cases where this might happen but it's extremely rare it almost never happens suddenly in a setting where you're not artificially doing something and you're going to be very safe in doing this your baby's not going to be injured you can take the you can take on some of the responsibility sure and you know what if you're wrong you're wrong but at least you can take on the responsibility so that you can alle- alleviate some of the 
the suffering or the agony that that your client may endure and that's sort of part of the role of being a good practitioner is knowing when to or, or taking on some of that stuff interpreting some of the data and coming clear like for instance th- there's another good example which is hpv um hpv is human papillomavirus it causes cervical cancer but most women who have hpv will never get cervical cancer if i see a 45 year old woman who's never had hpv and she has a pap smear that's normal the new recommendations are that she may not need another pap smear for three, five, six years. Mm-hmm. You know, it really just depends on what she's doing. And she says, well, what if I, you know, couldn't I get, you know, why, why would I want to wait that long? And I say, because the chance of you're getting cervical cancer, uh, Sally, is the same as me getting cervical cancer. Dr. Stu, and I... And then they always laugh because they know that I don't have a cervix and right. blah, blah, blah. Right. But it is, it really is the same. The chance of that woman getting cervical cancer is small. But if you want to be someone who does more tests who leads down to, to you know those sorts of things or just is reading things by the book, then you end up scaring more people and you end up causing more anxiety. You to, get it. I know you get it. I do. To that exact point, you want your doctor, your physician to be optimistic, but you don't want to see, uh, you know, you don't want your doctor seeing your health through rose-colored glasses. No, you don't want to go there, there, don't worry about it. And and, and, and that's, that's not good either. That's patronizing. But, you don't want to do that. Okay. All right. But you also don't want to go... Well, you know, anything, you know, I can't, I could never say that you're going to be fine because you may not be fine. That you don't want to, you got to be, you got to, it's an art that's developed over time. It's a people skill. You know, I mean, again, it isn't just confined to medicine. It's your, your, your job. You're smooth, you know. You can schmooze really well. Some people can't. Uh, p- some people are great salespeople, and they can close a deal, and other people just can't do it. How much time, in your recollection, Doctor Stu, in medical school, when physicians are going through training, how much time is dedicated to that—the art of actually communicating with another person, well, in, with I, the patient? I have to say that I don't know what it's like now because I'm quite removed from that. But we had in the first two years of medical school, we had um, courses in history taking. And interviewing uh, patients, and we actually had um, uh, they, they they weren't models; they were they were stand-ins. I mean, they were they right. were professional people who you would take their interview, and then they would critique you. Oh, interesting! Or you'd videotape them. Okay, they would videotape you taking the interview, and then you'd be critiqued. Critiqued, right? Critiqued one on one later on. All of us about are. your skills, about your eye contact, about your body language, about using certain words in certain ways. So I, I, I do give credit. I mean, again, this is in the cobwebs of my brain. <laughs> Uh, but, but that's sort of what we're talking about it is, today. It is. It yeah. is. We are digging deep, and and by the way, I'm having a lot more moments where I can't remember senior like moments. Who, but yeah, not I was quite. listening in the car. Who sang this song? I know this person. I've heard they're they're singing a million times, right. and I could not come up with their name, so I have to pull out my Soundhound <laughs> or on Shazam. My phone. I use Shazam. Yeah, I use Soundhound <laughs> yeah, and okay. play it for a second. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was Taylor Swift, or oh yeah, it was you know that. Now I can't even remember who the person <laughs> was. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting though. That's really interesting to me because it's it's so it's sort of uh, what we've all in our lives encountered doctors. We've heard the phrase a gazillion times. Well, he or she had no bedside manner. There just was none of that, right? And of course, that can be. The that can be the difference, right? I mean, obviously, uh, the way information is presented to you by your physician, not the information again, the way it's presented can make all the difference in the world. Yes, it can. And it also, it also is the receiver that has, uh, you, have to, you have to cater your, your counseling to 
your client. You you can't you wouldn't say the same thing to every client. You have to be able to interpret this client is really anxious mm-hmm. and this client is really calm. Mm-hmm. So you can you need to talk differently to the two of them. This one you can talk plain talk to, the calm one to. The other one you need to take more time and you need to try to get into what makes them so anxious. Why are they so worried? You know, uh, is it their life experiences? Did they have someone who had ovarian cancer in their family? And, and do they think that cervical cancer is related to ovarian cancer? And can I reassure them that the two are not related in any way, shape, or form? And get to the bottom of it, and you spend a lot more time with this person. And in the course we've talked about before, in the model of care, which is where most Americans are right now, they don't have the time to really get into those sorts of things. It's amazing. On a podcast where we've reflected largely on the passage of time, Look at that. The time has gone. I know. And I, yeah, I know. I, I looked up I just I just looked up when you said that because I knew where you were going and I saw that it's been 32 minutes and 21 seconds and it's hard to believe that that was 32 minutes and You know, if you had seconds. said to me 32 minutes ago, Brian, p- enjoy this moment. Put it in a bottle. You know, bottle this moment. Yeah. It, it's it, is it, you know, This was a good old podcast, right? <laughs> But you know what? Life has beginnings, middles, end and end yes it does and is it right yeah. yeah but you know I, I and the last thing i'll say uh i'm not i'm not a big movie critic i i think movies uh people have certain tastes in movies i saw a very odd movie yesterday i saw lucy i don't know if you've seen it i haven't with scarlett johansson yeah. i want to see it yeah well it's not your typical scarlett johansson movie oh it's it darn it <laughs> um but uh, it's it's very interesting premise. Obviously, it's pure science fiction, which of course is my one of my favorite things. But the idea that time is all uh, is isn't isn't um, so limiting, mm-hmm. and that uh, there's things that there are greater things than what we what we know in our little things. And we're so busy. If we could take our fears and worries and anxieties out of our day, how much more pleasant our life would be mm. and how much more broad and how much more expansive we would be. I mean, she took, she got this medication or she got this drug right. uh, by mistake and her, her response, you know, she said at one point that I don't worry about things. I don't, I'm not fearful. I have no fear. And so it opens up her horizons. So many of us are, are, are aging and, in, in times where we feel we're scared of aging. We're scared of uh, getting sick or getting old or, you know where the next dollar is coming from, and or what's going on in the world, and and it becomes overwhelming, and you, then you stop and you forget to smell those roses that you talked about. And that's important. So everybody, take a moment to do that. Right. This is an important message from this podcast. And you know what? Here on Doctor Stu's podcast, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Check out the Facebook page. I am asking permission, an executive to make an executive decision to not use our Thor music to close this podcast, but a particular song that I thought of as you and I were reflecting on the past. Is that okay? That is okay. All right. So in, so take two and a half minutes, if, if memory serves correctly, about that to enjoy uh, this song that was a hit for Green Day. We hope you'll join us next time on Dr. Stu's podcast. For Dr. Stuart Fishbine, I'm Brian Whitman. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, my friend. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right 
I hope you had the time of your life So take the photographs and still frames in your mind Hang it on a shelf in good health and good time Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life It's something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life